Sam. Sam. <laughs> I don't know why. Sam. Sam. <laughs> Sam. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think that's about as low as I can go. <laughs> oh, you want to try is probably just make you start coughing or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Stargazing, a Stargate gazing podcast. I'm your host, Kathy. And I'm your other host, Mary. And every other week, we discuss an episode of Stargate, beginning with Stargate SG-1. Hello! Hello! How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Fabulous. I, yeah. I, nothing particular is happening, but I'm in a good mood. Excellent. Which well, is that's good. good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Good moods yeah. are very helpful, especially <laughs> when you're trying to make an entertaining podcast. Oh, well, I think but I in general too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I was thinking about how miserable I've been for like a long time. Um <laughs> one would even say maybe like four years. Yes, exactly. Of misery. And <laughs> in although there's still a lot of misery happening, I am trying to find a balance between obsessing about the news and ignoring it completely. So <laughs> today was a mostly ignored day, so Yeah. That yeah. uh that will definitely happen. I don't. Yeah. I find myself not obsessing about the news nearly as much the last few days, just as a natural byproduct, and that's a nice feeling. Yes, and I, I am. I'm getting resentful when I'm listening to something, and then all of a sudden I get unexpected uh, Trump, and I'm like, no, I don't <laughs> no, want to hear it. this. <laughs> mute it. My brain. You've had mute enough. It. Mute it. Mute it now. Hi. I'm. I'm not happy to, but I'm fine reading his words. I just don't want to listen to him. Yeah, I tend to be the same way. I mean, I don't want to hear any new information from him. If they have past information they want to convey in written word, I'm right. cool with that. Yes. Hi, Agreed. do you want to try coming in this way? Nope. Oh, she's shunning me. She's uh, she's walking away. She's showing me your butt and she's walking towards the bedroom. We both have new recording spaces today. We do. I mean, mine's largely similar, but it's uh, I got a, I got a, I got a spin bike, which is forming one of my walls or one of the things to drape a blanket over. That's fantastic. I miss yeah. spinning. I liked teaching spinning and taking spinning, and I haven't done spinning. And I gave away my spin bike a long time ago because I'm like, I teach spinning. I don't need this at home. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, wah, wah. <laughs> only I still had it. <laughs> I'm enjoying mm. it so far. Uh. Although it's, I think it's going to take my leg muscles a while to acclimate because yeah. it is not exactly translates to bike riding. No, it doesn't. So, and they're like, oh, stand up and do a climb because I've been, you know, on an app trying to follow classes because I do better that way anyway. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to sit here. Also, I'm going to slow way down and decrease the resistance. How about that? <laughs> Just for now, for Absolutely. a few minutes. I was always telling my people, you know, I I would never give, like, I didn't like giving specific numbers for people to, like, turn it up or specific resistance levels. I would just say, you know, find your comfort level here and then turn it up here and then turn it back down to a recovery level here. I didn't like giving a specific number because, it's you know, everyone's, everyone's different with what's hard for them and what's not yeah. hard for them. And if you overwhelm somebody the first day by like telling them crank up your resistance to like whatever the highest number is and like keep it there they're never going to come back to your class again no 
I also like not having other people around me because I think I've only taken like two spin classes before and I feel like there, even though there is no pressure because again, most instructors are just like, you know, do what you can and everyone's yeah. concentrating on their own workout. I'm like, everyone's watching me and I have to try to keep up and I can't keep up. Yeah, no one's watching you. I know. <laughs> even the instructor's not watching you. But, but now that I'm in my house and no one can see me, no one's really watching me at yeah. all. The only thing, like, I would keep an eye on people just to gauge how challenging the class seemed for everybody and if everyone's working out at the right level. And that was, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't be, like, staring at any one person or really judging anybody. <laughs> I was just taking a look around to be like, everyone working hard enough? Great. Anyone working too hard? No? Good. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Yes. So tell me about your space. Yes, I'm in a closet. Yes! <laughs> I am actually, I'm surprised and glad that it is not the anxiety box that I thought it would be because uh, as you know I'm sure I have pretty bad claustrophobia so shutting yeah. myself in a closet for an extended period of time was something I was kind of dreading but it's not as enclosed feeling as I thought it might be and it well, helps that, like, the door is right next to me and I actually left the door slightly ajar but I've got a curtain covering it so but like knowing that I can easily get out at any time helps to lower my um, my yeah. claustrophobia where I was like if I'm in a space and that I can't get out of like you know like the back seat of a two-seat car or like the one time I had to go get an MRI and when like you're strapped in like Ooh. nope <laughs> can't do that but but like I said if I can get out then I can deal with the enclosed spaces a little bit better I'm glad yeah. and I'm here with you I'm not you physically are. there but I'm with alone. you I don't have a dog surprisingly but um but you know I have my Kathy. Yay! I have my Mary. Yay. I have also been abandoned by all my animals. So, well, the other two yeah. wouldn't well, care I anyway. Really. I did have the cat that I didn't want in here. <laughs> she was trying to hide from the dog, so the dog Aww. was in here trying to chase the cat out of here. So they were both just kind of like in the corner of this like three and a half by three and a half, three and a half, maybe by four foot space, just fighting in the corner <laughs> underneath my chair. And oh I'm my like, god! Both suck. <laughs> Um, in the new space, does your cat have any sort of safe space the way she did in the old place? Yes, she's going to have two ultimately. Right now she's only got one because one of the rooms, the room that this closet is off of actually is mostly unusable because it ended up being like where we dumped a bunch of stuff. So like <laughs> we have the treadmill and the treadmill is usable and then we've got a bunch of stuff around the room and then there's a desk that I use for teaching because now I've also started my new job teaching and resumed my old job teaching and they're quarantining for the first couple weeks at least. Um, and then there's the closet off of that. So eventually we're going to put up a cat tree for her in this room. And then we're going to put up a baby gate to keep the dogs out of it. But for now, she's got the laundry room, which is where her cat box is and it's where she eats. Ah. And she's got like a little comfy seating area. Cause she's the weird kind of cat that likes to sleep in her, um, in her crate, her, um, her travel carrier. <laughs> so we have that in there too. And she likes to sleep. Oh, and there's a bunch of toys in there for her too but so so yeah it's a baby gate but with like a little cat door in it that the dogs can't get through but she can nice yeah i wanted i didn't want that because i all of my cats are cats so they would all go through the cat door <laughs> i tried the baby gate thing when my when 13 was being particularly harassed by buddy but the <laughs> gate i bought it's too narrow for them to get through, but 13 is narrow enough that she can almost get through. Yeah. So I thought she would jump over it, which is what I was hoping. My other cats are too heavy and fat and old <laughs> to jump over it. She's old, but she's still pretty spry. But instead, she tried to go through it and got stuck. And oh, that was kind of the end of that experience. 
that's that's tragic. Yeah, coconut actually can get through the cat door, but I put like a little piece of tape about mm, probably about two inches from the top of it because potato is a small cat. So I put that yeah. piece of tape there and that still gives her enough room to get through. But coconut is a little bit too, too meaty and muscly to be able to get through with that extra tape in there. So and Lily, Lily's too big to fit through there at all. So. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah she's she seems happy in there she's actually exploring the apartment a lot more than she really explored the other house too so she that's nice she seems like a happy kitty and the puppies are barking at everything but i think they're getting a little bit better and less a little less jumpy as they get used to the, the new noises and being in an apartment instead of a house obviously there's a lot more neighbor sounds than there had been before but they're also yeah. loving the twice away twice a day walks that i don't know ah. how they are, so i don't <laughs> want to say the word out loud <laughs> Twice or actually today it'll be four times at this rate because Ooh. they wanted to go out a bunch of times today. But so two to four times <laughs> for WALKs instead of just nice. in the backyard where they run. Oh, man. Maybe Potato didn't explore the other house because she could feel the doom emanating from the murder room. It's entirely possible. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, for, for any listeners who have no idea what we're referring, my basement in our old apartment had two extremely creepy rooms in the the bottom the basement and one of them was we called by an un-pc name so i won't even mention it here but the other one we just referred to as the murder basement which also might not be the most pc but uh it really was creepy and dirty and <laughs> gross and i didn't like going down there and you're probably right that she probably just felt, felt the doom <laughs> she knew she's a cat they know these things yes so aside from just gabbing about where I'm living now and yeah. our various recording forts and caves, what are we talking about today? <laughs> today we are talking about the SG-1 episode from season one called Solitudes. I believe where it's number 18. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that is what we are going to talk about. Yes. Let's and- begin. We'll we'll have some fun. It'll be yes. it'll be it'll be great. It will absolutely. Yeah. We start this episode off with the Stargate spinning. The Stargate is activating from off world, and the man whose name we still don't know, but is named Walter. Yeah, I kept calling him Walter in my notes today because I'm pretty sure you're right about that. I'm pretty sure. Perfect. He still doesn't have a name in the credits. He was credited yeah. as technician. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just call him Walter. His name is Walter, guys. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. His name is Robert Paulson. Uh, <laughs> they weren't expecting anybody back. They closed the iris. They've got some folks in there with weapons, and they're waiting to see if there's any ID code, which there is. So it is SG1 who was not expected back. They just went through. So they open the iris so that the team doesn't go splat. <laughs> but we do notice uh, pretty quickly that there is a problem with the Stargate. The event horizon is sort of flickering, and Daniel comes flying through the gate. Even worse than that uh, uh, Nordic planet that I'm forgetting the name of. Like, they're flying high up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. And then Teal'c is not far behind. Daniel's unconscious. And then we also get the te- sort of technical side of what's going on because. Things are not right with the gate, so there's some sort of overload error code 44, which is apparently some Windows error code I looked up. 
madness about peripheral <laughs> devices shutting down or something like that so yeah. that seemed right it was like an actual yeah somewhat accurate error code yeah um there's some bits that like kind of fly off as the system as the gate like overloads and then the wormhole closes and this whole thing is done in a play-by-play by walter yeah uh, <laughs> it really was just... <laughs> it was kind of funny yeah. uh hammond calls for a medical team and uh goes to talk to teal who is fortunately not unconscious and teal says he's okay and hammond wants to know where sam and jack are and teal's like they were right behind us i don't know where they are but we get to know where sam and o'neill are and we see a bit of a stargate among some ice and snow and it pans out and there's this dark cave and the two of them are unconscious but sam is jolted awake by some noise it gets off takes off her helmet and just looks around so yeah they're somewhere but nobody knows where yes lots of drama in this opening and then there was credits i think yes there indeed were credits. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. After that, we are in the infirmary. Daniel's hooked up to a bunch of monitors and is still unconscious. But Hammond said that Dr. Warner, whoever that is and where Dr. Frazier is, we don't know. I uh, think Dr. Warner is the smart guy who pushes the alarm from... Uh, oh, okay. I was wondering if that was the guy. I believe okay. that's his name. I could be totally making that up, but I'm pretty sure that's him. Anyway. Good for him for still yeah. being alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He said that Daniel's going to be all right. If I was getting this news, I don't know that I'd take it this well. You said he was all right. Hammond asks Tilk what happened, and Tilk says that they were under fire from a distance by some energy weapons. They couldn't really see where they were coming from exactly. Hammond asks if Sam and Jack might have gotten hit, but Tilk is pretty adamant that they were right behind him, and he doesn't see how they really could have gotten hit in the amount of time that, that they were behind him, although that doesn't really add up like they could have gotten hit as they were going through which we've seen happening before but whatever Tilk is adamant that they're still okay they did not get hit by anybody Hammond wants to know how many of the the enemy was out there but they were hidden so it wasn't really possible to see how they were they were just kind of surrounding SG-1 and firing at them from a distance not really even clear if it was like people or just automated weapons or what was going on Walter comes in with a report on the gate repairs and Tilk's like repairs and Hammond tells him that the power was overloaded and they don't really know why, but you would think they could figure out that if energy weapons were firing on them, that that probably would have been what caused the power overload. Yeah. (laughs) And yet they don't seem to really come to that conclusion until later in the episode. Not to spoiler. It's not a huge spoiler. (laughs) Tilk wants to return to the planet as soon as possible to try to find Sam and Jack, but Hammond says that with an army or whatever it is waiting for them on the other side, that's really not going to happen anytime soon, at least until Mm -hmm. they can get a probe sent through. And so Tilk looks very displeased at that, but apparently the gate isn't even working yet anyway. So Hammond says at the very least they'll send a probe through when the gate is working. Good call, Hammond. I appreciate your (laughs) prudence in this matter. Yes. Back in the cave, Jack awakens. He's groaning and Sam goes over to him. Turns out his leg is broken. Jack's like, what's the bad news? And then that they're not in Kansas anymore? Is that what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Out of here, look behind me, It's a twister, it's a twister. Sam says Daniel must have misdialed because Jack is like, what? <laughs> Daniel, wrong number? Seems pretty incredulous, so. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but Sam has looked around a little bit and tried to radio 
Teal'c and Daniel and haven't been able to hasn't been able to get in touch with them so she's seems like they're not there and that they are alone wherever here is Uh, here she surmises is a deep crevasse of a glacier possibly on a planet in the middle of an ice age if the stargate has been run over by ice yes that's that's not great no no she says they're in trouble jack's like nah trouble (laughs) no way (laughs) dial home we'll straighten all this out but unfortunately in sam's looking around she has not found a dhd so jack changes his tune a little like we're in trouble i'm in trouble which she she agrees to very true. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Stranded on an ice planet with no way to dial it. Not great. Not so much. Back on the base in the gate room, repairs and soldering are happening, and there's all kinds of sparks flying everywhere, which is how we know things are getting fixed. There's some technical jargon thrown around about how they're fixing the superconductive elements and that it'll take about 24 hours. And Hammond tells the, the foreman or whoever the guy is, that he can have half that time, but the guy is like, well, nope, it's going to be 24 hours anyway, <laughs> regardless of what you say. So that that gentleman, he yeah. does have a name in the credits. It's Sergeant oh, really? Siler. Yep. Yeah. His name is Sergeant Siler. And I looked him up and his the actor's name is Dan Shea. Not only is he this bit character in the show, but he is also the stunt coordinator for the show, as well as uh, Richard Dean Anderson's stunt double. Oh, no way. Yeah. Crazy, right? That is. And that's really interesting. And also, I'm enjoying Tilk showing off his guns in that tank top. Just yeah. to <laughs> Very agree. Yes. <laughs> Back in the ice cave. Sam is setting Jack's leg and splinting it, and he is being very complainy, understandably, about how much it's hurting. And she's trying to just keep him talking and distracted and asks if he's ever had a broken bone before. And he said that it's the ninth broken bone he's had, if you count skull fractures. Apparently, he had a parachuting mishap back in 1980 when his chute opened a little bit too late when he was parachuting into a country. And she asks how he managed to get out of that, and he said, well... It wasn't exactly an official mission, so I had to get out on my own, and it took him nine days. And she asks how he managed to do that, and he said that it was because he just really wanted to get home to see his wife, Sarah. When she's done splinting him, they go over the supplies that they have, and they apparently have enough food for three days. They don't have a lot of water, but they have methods to melt some ice for water over the camp stove. They don't have much in the way of batteries, but they at least have thermal blankets to help them stay warm. Sam is seeming extremely pessimistic about their chances of getting out of here and jack is being surprisingly optimistic and he says we're gonna get out of here and that's that's an order he says that she has to believe him and sam says well i don't see how and jack says well i'll be damned if i'm gonna die on an ice block a million miles from home and then he asks sam to help him up which she says is a really bad idea given his broken leg but he says he really needs to get up because his butt is cold (laughs) It's a good reason to get up off the ice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she seems really distraught, actually, mm-hmm. at, at various points in this episode. And she yeah. 
gave up way quickly. Yeah, much more so than like she's been in some pretty tough situations before. She struggled with this one more than any of those yeah. other ones for whatever reason. Yeah, Jack was a good balance counter to that, keeping her yes. grounded a little bit. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Back at the SGC, Daniel wakes up in the infirmary with Teal'c standing over him. I thought that was a funny shot because he's like blurry and then Teal'c's face is getting clearer and then he's also is like leaning in towards the camera with like a funny look on his face. Yeah. <laughs> so Teal'c explains that the Stargate malfunctioned as they came through at a great velocity and that Sam and Jack did not come through with them. Daniel, like Teal'c, says, I know they were right behind us. Teal'c does tell him they are planning to send a probe through in a few hours to try to figure out what happened. We're back in the cave again. Hey, just gonna imagine flip. that. I know. <laughs> this is a lot of flipping back and forth between our two, our two locations yes. in this. Jack thinks Sam might be able to climb out of the cave, but Sam happened to find the DHD, so they can focus on that instead. Convenient. Yeah. She thinks it might be intact in this block of ice. That's inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> it's any solid block of ice. <laughs> yeah, it's a big block of ice. She's sitting on top of it. Jack tries to climb on top of it, <laughs> too, yes. but his injuries sort of prevent that happening completely. Uh, they think they might be able to dig it out, and if not, they can at least use their chopped ice as melted drinking water. That would be my nightmare, by the way, having to drink such cold water. I mean, <laughs> I, know, I know there are bigger situations, but I just really hate cold water so much. This whole thing, he's got like all kinds of injuries and they're stuck with no way to get home. And the biggest worry that you have is that the drinking water would be too cold. It'd be so cold. <laughs> Yes. I was, the ice would probably be somewhat cold. <laughs> I was wondering too if so if they don't have a way to heat the 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 ice to melt it, can mm. they just lick the ice and get sufficient moisture that way? Uh I wouldn't think that that would be enough and then eventually you would run the risk of having like frostbite damage to your tongue probably True. well before you would actually get enough moisture or fluid into your body. Okay. To, be particularly beneficial i guess it would probably kind of depend on exactly how cold it was in there like if it was almost melting temperature then maybe not but also when you have a risk of being hypothermic you really don't want to put any body part on the ice there to avoid any kind of tissue damage or hypothermia your tongue could get stuck too your tongue could get stuck if it's cold enough your tongue actually literally would get stuck to it yeah so then you really then you'd really be screwed cut your tongue out in order to uh, free yourself if you didn't yes. have any like i don't know warm water to dump on it and yes. like which i would assume you're not licking the ice uh if you're licking the ice you don't have any warm water to dump on it. probably not some you never know though some people like that sort of thing i don't know <laughs> getting their tongues stuck to surfaces cold surfaces just gotta see what happens just can't help themselves just gotta lick this thing and find out where it goes <laughs> <laughs> totally normal i'm gonna go lick my car now because it's cold and metal and outside <laughs> yes just to see what happens <laughs> this is how you do science right <laughs> 
You make an observation. That observation leads to a question that leads to a hypothesis. It's science. <laughs> and then you just do it. So yeah, I mean, you just do it. And then you do an experiment. <laughs> Experiments do not always work well. <laughs> Perfect. Mm-hmm. So unlike me, they're worried about bigger problems. Sam notices Jack seems to be in some extra pain and that and he admits he might have some cracked ribs. And she's like, why didn't you tell me? And he's like, I, I was afraid you were going to put a splint on it. <laughs> oh. They start chipping away at the ice block and are wondering where Teal'c and Daniel might be. Sam's come up with three possible explanations. That they misdialed entirely and they're somewhere else than Earth. Including Daniel and Teal'c, but they're also, Daniel and Teal'c are just not with them, but are somewhere on the planet. Scenario two is that Daniel did not misdial, but there was some sort of malfunction during transit. And Daniel and Teal'c make it to Earth, but Sam and Jack got sent to this other place. And their third option is that the Stargate malfunctioned. And this time, Sam and Jack ended up where they are, and Daniel and Teal'c get sent to some other random planet. And there are no other options. Don't ask. Three shall be the number thou shalt count. And the number of the counting shall be three. No other options. Don't ask. But four comes after three. Four shalt thou not count. Mm, Does it, though? Not in this world. There's no four. (laughs) It goes one, One, two, two, five. Three, three. Three. <laughs> we're in the same place on that one. Yes. <laughs> Three. <laughs> Three. <laughs> so Jack thinks they should assume they made it back to Earth and that they'll probably start sending search parties to find them. And Sam continues her sort of panicked despairish whatever i'm not sure how to exactly mm. characterize but she is just worst case scenario all the way yes. so she's like where he's like here she's like but where do they begin it could take 10 years Jax doesn't want to hear that and <laughs> i like well i didn't like his optimistic response here because he's like well not if they look here first <laughs> yeah but it's true <laughs> and then sam says she thinks too much and they go back to yeah. chipping the ice Yes, indeed. Back at the base, they're testing out the gates, and everything seems to be checking out okay. So they dial out and are going to be sending a probe through. Tilk is up in the gate room with Hammond and says that he and SG-3 are ready to go through as soon as is at all possible. Hammond tells the guards down in the gate room that they need to stay alert now that the gate is working again because people on the other side might have our defense codes to open the iris as well as the address to get here. And Tilk and Daniel are completely insulted that Hammond thinks that Sam or Jack would have ever given up any of those codes. (laughs) And he basically ignores them. (laughs) Which he should. Good job. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like that's really not a chance that you want to take. So no. Yeah. Hammond does say that if everything checks out with the probe, Tilk will be coordinating with the leader of SG-3 and they'll be going through pretty much right away. So the probe goes through and we get a look around and 
One thing that I really didn't understand is how the mouth is transmitting an image of itself. I thought that was, <laughs> well, I saw the mouth, but I actually thought that was the first mouth they probably sent both through before SG-1 went. Oh, okay. That was my guess. You're right. I, but how, does the mouth come back or does it stay there and transmits images? I, I, I guess it stays there and transmits images. I don't think it can yeah, come back well. unless the team brings it back. But if you're running out under fire, you're probably not worried about the mouth. Yeah, good call. Okay. SMRT, that's me. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> <clears throat> SMRT is not me. You're SMRT too. <laughs> I am too smart. I am too smart. SMRT. I mean, SMART. So the probe goes through, and we get a good look around at a kind of funky looking planet with like really red dirt and row upon row of these big black stone monoliths. There are no bodies. So no Sam or Jack doesn't seem to be any kind of sign of a battle. There's no warriors of any other kind of race or creatures. But then all of a sudden something opens fire on the map and we see blasts from an energy weapon coming at the screen. Hammond immediately orders the iris gate closed and says that the rescue mission is scrubbed and they power down the gate. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, indeed. I like that the screen says transmission interrupt. I'm like, yes, thank you for that. <laughs> it is a very helpful thing for the computer to display. Yes. Quite so. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the glacial crevasse, Jack is cooking soup for Sam, who is chipping away at ice. He calls her over for some supper, or whatever time of day it is. It's just a meal. It's food. It's foods. So she joins him. Then we get a didn't you know didn't know you could cook, and he says he can't, and that his melted ice is to die for. Delish. <laughs> uh, mm, yeah. <laughs> At least someone appreciates melted ice better than you do, Kathy. Yeah, I mean, if you melt it to the point where it is then like ninety degrees to uh, two hundred degrees somewhere in there, I'm cool with it. Gross. I don't, I don't too like warm. cold too warm. warm. I know, I know you don't, but that's <laughs> unpleasant. I've been drinking a lot of tea, I guess is what I'm saying. So I do want it really hot. So Hot beverages are great. Yes, I agree. <laughs> but I don't want like hotter than room temperature glasses of water if I'm thirsty. <laughs> like, oh. I'm going to go for a run and then drink a body temperature glass of water when I get home. <laughs> I would. <laughs> I know you would, but no. <laughs> normal people wouldn't. <laughs> that is true. I am not normal. Um, <laughs> Sam's trying to figure out how, or theorizes that the how about how the Stargate might have malfunctioned, and she thinks that maybe the matter stream actually redirected, like how a lightning bolt can jump. Mm-hmm to a different stargate caused by the energy discharge by the attack on P4A771 which is the designation of the planet they were on when they got lost. The weird Mars planet. <laughs> it's very important that I describe that because you wouldn't know what planet that was otherwise from any other context. Oh, I would. I know all the planets in their designation. <laughs> She's talking science and Jack's not listening because he's in a lot of pain. Yes. And it was so boring that even I didn't really pay attention. Yeah. No, I, 
anyway, the gist is that she thinks that they are on a planet near Earth, between Earth and the planet that they were on. Yeah. And she's hoping that the teams at the SGC will reach the same conclusion and narrow down their search. Woo! Yes, hopefully. Yeah. And in the next scene, we find out that that is pretty much what happened. So on the base, Daniel and Teal'c are trying to figure out where Jack and Sam might be and what happened. And Daniel is trying to argue that they probably just ended up on some other planet rather than dematerializing in the matter stream, as Teal'c says they may have done. And Daniel doesn't really want to consider that that was a possibility. So he says that they really need to discuss the fact that there are millions of possible gate combinations and basically start working on narrowing that down. So I have a thought about this. It's not a thought. It's... (laughs) Do you think Daniel and Teal'c are just hanging out together during this while there's a whole other room of actual astrophysicists, scientists who know things about the Stargate working on this problem? Or do you think they don't have any other astrophysicists besides Sam on hand to solve these problems? And so they have to leave it up to the anthropologist and the Jaffa. (laughs) That's a valid question that I actually hadn't even really thought about. And you'd think I would have, but... We do get the impression that they are the only two working on this problem of all of these scientists and various other military personnel that staff this base. So you would think that there would be other people working on it, but if there are, we don't see them ever. (laughs) So valid question or a valid point. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, go on. (laughs) Back in the ice cave, there's dig, dig, dig happening and OMG, it's a serpent guard dead in the ice. Guess he didn't make it. And then we're back in the gate room again. (laughs) It's not actually the gate room. Where is this? Was it in the conference room? I think the conference room is on one side of that mirror and the the um gate the control room is on the other and I don't know which side they were on that window. Meh. It's back on the base there in front of the big glass map that they have on the wall that shows where all the various planets are that they visit on occasion or try to go to on occasion and daniel's pointing at the map showing the planet that they had been on and earth and there's a big red line going between the two and he says that the gate closed too early and hammond mentioned that energy surge again and so daniel asks sergeant siler is that what you said his name was yes who is also there what that would have done to the wormhole itself and he says he doesn't actually really know and daniel asks well would it have just disappeared completely but siler doesn't really think that that would be the case he says that it probably would have discharged elsewhere kind of like how lightning jumps from one point of contact to another instantaneously with the uh, energy flowing in one direction kind of like positive to negative um electricity flow And so Daniel's like, well, what if it redirected to one of the other planets surrounding the trajectory of the original wormhole? And again, that's basically what Sam was just saying before. And Hammond's like, well, they would have dialed home if that were the case. And Daniel's like, I don't even remember hitting the ramp when I got back. So if they're injured too, then no, they might not have been able to dial in. Good point, Daniel. Yes. Not to mention the actual problem, which is they couldn't find the DHD and then can't get it working. Yes. Always a problem, which would also be a problem if, in fact, there were no DHD and they were on a planet that they found them and then couldn't get them home because there's no DHD. (laughs) Right. That would also suck. Yeah. I wonder if they could send through enough supplies for Sam to build some sort of DHD 
I would think that they could. I mean, they really only need a power source, and then they can dial it by hand. Oh, yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah. So they, they'd figure it out. But anyway, yeah. that's a, that's a, that's an alternate universe version of this episode. <laughs> yes, that is that not what actually happens. That does not happen. Spoiler <laughs> alert, that's not what happens. <laughs> Back in the cave, they've gotten the top of the DHD uncovered. Sam notes there's a symbol she's never seen before, so thinks that's probably the point of origin. Jack is coughing blood and would <laughs> yeah, prefer prefer uh, to leave now rather than never. Mm-hmm. So Sam tries dialing home, and the gate does come to life as she presses the symbols, but when she presses the red button, there's a womp, womp, womp. <laughs> that's not the sound, and that's not even the words I wanted to use, but that's what that's, That's basically the overall effect, though. <laughs> Damn it! Damn! She's pretty frustrated. Jack's like, did you dial the right place? She says she did. And that there must be some problem that she can fix if she can dig further down into the DHD. Jack, though, tell, uh, puts a stop to this for a while because they've been awake for a really long time and it might be time for some rest. Sam is very worried about him, but Jack continues to be very optimistic. They're going to get out of here. It's just going to take a little longer. Seriously, we're going to be fine. So she seems a little bit teary, but she does nod and say, yes, sir. Yeah, she's, she's having a tough time. She is. She is. Understandable. Yeah. In the gate room, Daniel is marking off the planets on the map. Presumably that they've already checked out to look for Jack and Sam. And Hammond comes in. Daniel tells Hammond that all the reports that they've gotten back from the various probes so far is that there's no breathable atmosphere on any of the planets that they've looked at. And Hammond tells Daniel that he has formally reported Sam and Jack as missing in action and Daniel is pissed and asks why and Ham is like well it doesn't mean we stopped looking for them. What does it mean then? I don't know. I didn't look I don't it up. Know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know either and I didn't look it up either. Um Well, world, if anyone yeah. wants to enlighten us, you can reach us at s t a r g a t e z i n g at gmail.com. Truth. You could tweet us and too. Lightly let us know. Yes. <laughs> so Hammond leaves and Daniel turns back to his map and says to himself missing I'm missing something missing something something in the ice cave Jack and Sam are snuggling but he has a coughing fit that wakes her up and then he wakes up and is a little confused as to why they are cuddled up like that but she says that he passed out And she was trying to conserve their body heat by staying that close together. And I was wondering this too. And then Jack points out the fact that maybe don't lay on the broken ribs of your injured (laughs) patient. So she apologizes and distances herself a little bit from him. Why is she doing that? And then he asked. So she promises that she'll fix the DHD after they've had a little bit of sleep. And then Sam says, Colonel. And Jack says, it's, it's my sidearm, I, I swear. swear. <laughs> and then they giggle. And then Jack is upset because laughing hurts. <laughs> and 
And Sam says that if they don't make it, she won't have any regrets. And Jack says, well, I regret dying. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. 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 Then we get a shot of the folks at the SGC who are thinking hard about what's going on. Think. 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 Daniel's pacing with coffee, staring at the gate through a window. And then we pan upward to the floor above where Hammond is pacing in the conference room. I thought that was a kind of cool. Yeah, scene. I like that. And then we see the team in the is in the gate room. And Walter's there in this control room watching. So anyway, they're very concerned. It's a it's a good scene full of people being concerned and still trying to figure out what's going on. Bunch of, yes, a bunch of people staring off in the distance and being concerned. Yes. <laughs> That's the whole scene. <laughs> yeah, we, that could have been way more concise. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> we took about, I don't know, a minute or two to ex- describe yeah. a 10 second scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fine. But it was good. I liked it. Was it was a good scene. I yeah. did as well. Back in the crevasse, Sam is frustrated, very frustrated with the gate. It won't work. She's yelling at it. God, why, why won't you work? work? Always very helpful. Yeah. Jack calls her over and says he's usually the first one up. So Sam says he's bleeding internally and her and that his leg may be frostbitten. And that sucks. Yeah. The, so she can't really tell, but and then I wrote something like trying to warm up with cooking sterno, but I'm not sure what we were warming up there. Uh, she mentioned that they couldn't really use cooking sterno to try to prevent frostbite for their hands or feet. Oh, enough of it. Ah, okay, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Also, would you set yourself on fire that way? Maybe. Oh, four. I mean five. I mean fire. I mean, if you put it, like, if you put it on you while it's burning, yeah. But like, if you held your hand <laughs> over it, like a normal fire, no. Well, if you're trying to deal with this frostbitten leg. If, you, if you're if you're putting your leg right in it, then yes, you will burn it. Good point. <laughs> Don't do that, kids. That's that is not how you treat frostbite by putting your body part into a fire. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Kathy's survival skills might need a little help. (laughs) That is true. My survival skills are zero. I I mean, I've often said if there were like a zombie apocalypse, I would be the first to go. Yeah, that's fair. I would just probably curl up and. I won't even. (laughs) No, that's no offense. (laughs) No, that's totally true. Well, Jeff was an Eagle Scout, and I'm a runner with a fair amount of first aid and medical training and science knowledge. I think we'd probably be pretty good. All right. Why don't you rub it in a little more? I will. Okay. And I did. Good. So there. Mm. Fine. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> we'll protect you, Kathy, because we love you. you. You're oh, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Wait till I binge eat all your supplies. <laughs> oh, no. Then you'll be. Then you'll know how terrible I. Am. All right, I probably would be right there with you doing the same thing, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if there's any chocolate in there. I'm not. I'm not. 
So they have a little chat about how Jack shouldn't stand up, and that's her doctor's orders, and that she wants him to drink as much of, I don't know if that was more soup or water or what, as he can, because once their little sterno dies, they will have no more water. Because apparently licking the ice is not a feasible option. No, it I have learned. <laughs> <laughs> At least I taught you something. She's she's still full of all the regret and despair. She's like, I should have gotten you out. And Jack's like, but you will. Uh, she's been working on this apparently for 12 hours and doesn't know why it won't work. Yeah, that's crazy. And then she says, paralleling Daniel... Must be missing something. And, but Jack says it is time for plan B, which is she leaves and takes her chances outside. Sam's not ready to abandon him. So she says that if I can't get this gate to work, then we'll both go. Jack's like, LOL. (laughs) Right, I'll race you. (laughs) So she's got to make it work. Otherwise, she's going to have to abandon colonel o'neill and she doesn't want to do that no that would suck yeah in the gate room tilk and one of the other sg teams come through tilk is carrying an injured and unconscious man who is not in very good shape tilk tells hammond that they were exploring a cave and the guy apparently slipped and fell there was no sign of sam and jack there but tilk says he is ready to go again right now immediately but hammond says no the search is off Apparently they've checked all of the planets that fit into Daniel's theory. So Daniel is really pissed, as is Teal. Yeah. Yep. Back in the ice cave, Sam is continuing to work on getting the DHD to work and basically decides that maybe if she interrupts the power by shutting it off and on again, first rule of troubleshooting for any kind of computer type device. Cute IT crowd. Hello, IT. Have you tried turning it off and on again? (laughs) Have you tried sticking it up your arse? Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So she reboots the DHD and dials out. It seems to be working. Things start vibrating and all the chevrons light up. And there's a very brief scene cut to the meeting room where Daniel is in there looking at uh, the map of planets. And then looks out at the gate room and notices that it's lighting up. And we see a water glass with the water shaking in the in the picture. But the gate doesn't open on either end. And we go back to the ice planet and see that it has failed over there as well. Womp womp. Mm-hmm. This show, this episode is full of disappointing moments. It is. Full of get your hopes up only to have them dashed moments. Yeah. Well, you know what they... They might be giants would say if it wasn't for disappointment i wouldn't have any appointments <laughs> i'm sure they didn't originate that but <laughs> i enjoy it <laughs> so in the conference room daniel is contemplating the water as teal comes in daniel asks if he saw what daniel saw and Tilk asks Daniel why he's there. And I guess it's because it's not it's not daytime. <laughs> well, they later mentioned that it's 4 a.m. Oh, uh, okay, okay. When this Oop. event occurred. I missed. Yeah. 
So Daniel Daniel couldn't sleep, and he again says he's, he's missing something, and he has a flash, not like a physical flash, but a flash of inspiration. And he's he as he realizes they ruled out a world they shouldn't have. <gasps> oh my god! Oh my god! I know. In the cave, Jack says to Sam that it didn't work. And she says she's sorry, and Jack reassures her it's not her fault, and she is still frustrated. I don't understand why this doesn't work. And Jack says, it is plan B go time. She protests, but he says, Sam, I'm dying. And to follow his orders. Please. Please. Yeah. I thought it was a kind of nice scene, because he basically makes it sound like the one last thing that will make him feel better as he's dying is to know that she's okay. So yeah. Follow my order, please. Yeah. Yeah. So she acquiesces and gets up and heads towards the light and starts to climb up. Back on the base, Daniel is talking to Hammond and asking him how many cultures they've run into that seem to have originated both before and after the gate was buried, such as the like medieval type cultures and other cultures that happened way more recently than the like 10,000 years ago that the gate was supposedly buried. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> Finally addressed that. Yes. And Hammond says several. And so Daniel says, right, and we've only scratched the surface of all the planets that are actually out there. So Hammond asks Tilk if the Glow would put a second gate on a planet for any reason. And Tilk says that they might if the first one was lost. And then Daniel also reminds Hammond that the Glow weren't even really the ones to place most of the original gates anyway. Somebody else had done it before them. And so Hammond's like, well, all right, well, where is it then? Ooh. Huh. Sam's climbing out of the cave. She radios down to Jack that she can't see the surface yet. And Jack radios back. Sam, it was an honor serving with you. And she says, yes, sir. At the base, Daniel says that the gate must be in a remote area or buried or else the Glowold would be using it to come attack Earth since they been pretty, making it pretty clear that they want to destroy the humans now. Yeah. <laughs> the Terrans. The, uh, whatever they call us. Uh, oh my god. Tauri. Yeah, the Tauri, yeah. The Tauri. Terrans, the, uh, the mirror universe, uh, evil yes, Star Trek people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, like, Wait, that's not right. <laughs> to the Empire! Yeah. So Tilk says, let's hope it's not still buried, because then if, you know, if Sam and Jack had been sent to it, they would be splatted by now. Hammond says that they're trying to track down Jack and Sam's radio signal, but, you know, that's a pretty daunting task. So Daniel mentions how much the gate used to shake back in the early days of the program. And Hammond says, that, yeah, it used to shake a lot, but they installed some dampeners to reduce that effect. And Daniel's like, well... What if that other gate doesn't have any dampeners? Would the gate's shaking be strong enough to be read by a seismometer? And Hammond's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it actually would be. So they tried, decided to check out seismic activity around the time that Teal'c and Daniel came back through the gate. And this is when Daniel also mentions the 4 a.m. time. Oh, yeah. When the gate vibrated and flashed but didn't actually open. Which I was wondering why he didn't tell Hammond about that before. So I thought that was a little weird. I don't know. Daniel. And it also asks Tilk what happens when you try to dial your own phone number. And he's like, oh, right. You're the wrong person to ask that one. 
So Hammond says that you would get a busy signal, and Daniel's like, like yeah, that's basically I think what I think happened here. What else would cause that kind of vibration unless they're trying to dial home and basically we're getting a busy signal that couldn't actually get the gate to close because the goal coordinates would be the exact same for any gate that's yeah. on this planet. Does dialing your own number on your cell phone also generate a busy signal? No, I've actually tried it before. It goes to your voicemail, typically. Yes, it does go to your voicemail. I just tried that, too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, okay, so for anyone out there who has never owned a landline, which is probably more and more people. Almost everyone now. Yeah, and if you've never experienced a landline, they don't work the same as your cell phone. So when you try to call yourself on your landline, at least back in the 90s, again, I don't know about today, yeah, uh, it would just generate a busy signal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would sound like that, kind of. I don't know why we called our own numbers to find this out, but sometimes but we do. did. Yeah. I think everyone as a kid of that age tried it at least yeah. a couple times. <laughs> I know I did. And there was a time even when you were on a call and someone else called you and mm. you they would not be able to get through to you. You couldn't choose to answer that call. They would just get a busy signal. Yeah. There was no other line. You couldn't put someone on hold. Nope. Back in the day. Oh. I remember when I was really young, I tried to call my mom from upstairs. And I was like, this will be really funny if I call my mom and she answers and it's me. But I didn't get oh. how busy signals work. So that's how I found out what happens when you dial your own number. Oh. <laughs> I was very disappointed. Yeah. That's yeah. weird to think about. Call waiting wasn't a thing. I think we called it total phone, too. That oh, was like yeah. That's probably some, like phone company brand name or something for all of these features that didn't exist before yeah we never had that caller id wasn't a thing yeah so for the for anyone who might be young listening to this (laughs) this has been your lesson in telecommunications for the day from the 90s (laughs) history yeah telecommunications history yes you're welcome Mm mm-hmm it's completely accurate, not at all subjective. We are 100% fact-based here <laughs> on this podcast. All times. Yes, absolutely. And we've already learned that the show itself is always completely fact-based, too. So. Yeah. It's, high, it's been highly researched mm-hmm. by thinking about it. Yes. <laughs> by thinking about it, vaguely recalling something I might have read once. Here are these things I do actually know about. And every once in a while, I research a thing. Actually, I research yeah. something that I'll talk about later. Ooh, nice. Let me get there. All right. Yeah. Sam's uh, still making her way out. She keeps trying to, you know, talk to O'Neill. She's almost there. She's going to try to bring back help. Jack doesn't answer. He looks pretty done for, just laying there. Um, she makes it out of the little ice hole and looks around. And we get a larger view of her surroundings and it is snow and ice as far as the eye can see Mm. that sucks but back at back at back at the base they've found some seismic activity in (gasps) in antarctica at the exact right time and it is near mcmurdo which is a base i think Yeah. yeah And Walter is so excited in this scene while he's conveying this information. I thought it was so cute. 
It's actually not uh, a military base. It's like mostly a research installation. Oh, Apparently it okay. actually is owned by New Zealand, which I hadn't realized. This was one of the things I was actually looking into. Nice. Yeah. Because I had heard of it before and I knew it was a research station, but I was curious as to like how big it was and like what kinds of aircraft it accommodates and stuff like that. So yeah, I did huh. not know it belonged to New Zealand. I thought that was cool. Huh. Yeah. So they're so excited. They are. And you just can't hide it. <laughs> Back in the ice not really the cave anymore, but there's an ice tunnel away from the cave. Sam is heading back down to Jack. She calls his name and is telling him that it's an ice planet because that's all there is as far as the eyes can see. And this is just another one of the examples of their weird assumptions that whatever is true around the gate is true for the entire planet. Because yeah. obviously Earth isn't an ice planet, but they've done this kind of thing before where like, you know, oh, this is a volcano planet. Or <laughs> yeah. oh, everybody here is of this culture or oh, this, you know this is a nice planet here but no so it's just weird to me that they always assume that whatever's going on near the gate is how it is everywhere i think we can excuse her a little bit in this one since she's so at the end of her rope that's true but <laughs> and, yeah and yeah. like given the their condition like being surrounded by all this is not a good thing no if she can't see any like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes this is true so jack's still not answering her when she calls because he's unconscious and she keeps heading back down, but slips and has a really rough slide and bumpy ride down until she basically comes to a stop right next to Jack. And she climbs up next to him and holds him. And in his delirium, he calls her Sarah. And I guess she's just trying to basically trying to comfort him. So she says, I'm here, Jack. And he tells yeah. her that he's just so cold. And she tells him it's okay and he can sleep now. And then Aww. says it was an honor serving with him too. It was but so good. It really was. Yeah, it was really sweet. But then, outside, there's a helicopter. <gasps> Holy cow. A helicopter flying by. Oh my I hear God. a helicopter. Fortunately, that helicopter is full of people. Yay! Make their way down into the cave and find Sam and Jack. Woohoo! And then the next scene we have is them getting Sam and Jack out of there. Daniel's there. He's like, Sam, it's going to be okay. The whole gang is there. We are. Hammond. I have a question. Please ask your question. I will have an answer from my brain where I do all my research. (laughs) How long does it take to get from Colorado to Antarctica? 42 seconds. <laughs> My research that I actually did do says that you're wrong. <laughs> Fine. Point Mary. Would you like to hear my tangent? I would love to hear your okay. tangent. So they had said that this place was like 50 miles from McMurdo. And so the reason I was actually looking at McMurdo was to see if they had a helipad, which they do. So if they're about 50 miles away the helicopter would probably be able to get to where sam and jack are in like 15 minutes and then you know it might take a little while to get down to them but i wouldn't imagine it should take too long because we know that there's that chute there although they show them rappelling down so i don't know how they actually got in but they didn't want to take the slide they didn't want to take the slide it's a bumpy road to travel from colorado to antarctica like just as the crow flies straight shot not accounting for like any wind shear or weather or anything 8,812 miles. Ooh. All right. Commercial aircraft fly around 500 miles per hour. So the internet tells me that that would be around 17.7 hours, not accounting for any stops. 
<laughs> so uh, you wouldn't think that they would probably be taking commercial aircraft to get from the Colorado Spring areas. Right. Right outside of Cheyenne Base. So maybe they took some kind of military transport, but the average military transport, I am told by Quora, a question somebody asked on Quora, is that about Mach 0.85, which is 652 miles per hour. So for an average military transport, it would take about 13 and a half hours for them to get there. Again, straight shot, no stops, not accounting for any weather or wind shear or anything. The fastest possible aircraft that would actually be able to carry passengers, not like a fighter jet, but like actually carrying passengers was the Tupolev 144, which was a Russian aircraft. It could travel at around cruising speed of around 1429 miles per hour, according to Wikipedia. And that would take 6.17 hours. So. Okay. The range on that was 3,312 miles though. So it would need to stop and refuel twice. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. And it would take about, I don't know how long it would take to refuel. Actually, I couldn't find that, but the Concorde, which I think is fairly similar, probably as far as refueling time would take 20 minutes each of those times. So that would be about seven hours of flying time only, not accounting for like any taxiing or accounting for um, any takeoff time or landing or switching from the airplane to the helicopter that they would then also need to take to get out to the, <laughs> to the base. So like best case scenario, it would take them like maybe like nine or 10 hours. Like I said, absolute best case scenario. They're on this Tupolev 144D, which actually NASA did procure one of them, even though it was a Russian thing. And they ret- they completely refitted it. Um, so they would have to borrow it from NASA and then hopefully it was already in Colorado Springs. Otherwise they'd have to get it there. So long story short, Jack's already dead by the time that Sam, that Tilk and Daniel and Hammond all get there. So why would they keep them hanging out in that cave until they got there? It does seem, it does seem a little weird. I, I have to say, it's, it's a little surprising that they were still in the cave. And they were there. Exactly. That is the issue that I'm having. (laughs) Yeah. Like, even if they had met them in an infirmary somewhere on McMurdo. Yeah. But but nope, they met them in the cave. They met them in the cave. (laughs) Maybe they're just really bad at putting people on backboards. (laughs) Maybe. Six hours just to do that part. Maybe. I've put people on a backboard. It's not that hard. Oh, <laughs> it doesn't man. take that long. Okay, okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You may continue with the scene now. That's my tangent. Sam, let's... <laughs> it's good. <laughs> I appreciate that. You did that. Thank you. Sam lets them know that Colonel O'Neill is bleeding internally, and Hammond says he knows, and that He's going to be all right. Yes, he's lost his left hand, so he's going to be all right. You son of a bitch! Which I feel like is maybe a little premature. I mean, I don't think he dies because this series goes on for a long time, but he had some serious injuries and was in that cold cave for a long, long time. Yeah, he's pretty far gone, so it's a pretty big leap for him and to say he's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, We'll take his word for it. Yeah, yeah, we'll take your word for it. I mean, he survives, so... Spoiler alert. (laughs) Spoiler alert, he's in the next episode, which, I mean, when we get to describing the next episode, it's going to be pretty obvious that that's a (laughs) die anyway, so... 
So Sam says to Hammond, General, you came through the Stargate for us. And he's like, not exactly, Captain. Uh, Hammond tells the folks who are there that there will be a team arriving from the SGC to secure the area. And they are going to bring their people home. Mm -hmm. He takes a look around at the second gate and then walks away. And we end on a visual of this fun new toy hanging out in Antarctica. Second gate. Second gate. What do you think that's going to mean for the future? (laughs) I bet it has no implications at all. (laughs) We'll never see it again. Nope. Never. (laughs) I'm sure. I actually, I did remember, I actually did remember that this, that there was a second gate, but I didn't remember it coming in this early. I didn't remember it being in the first season. Yeah, me either. Yeah. So I was actually surprised because I didn't remember what happened at the end of this episode either. So I was like, oh, oh. this is where we get the second gate? Cool. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I, I did remember what happened in this episode. So. Nice. So did you like the episode? I do like this episode. I really like sort of the parallels of them back and forth with Daniel and Sam trying to figure this out. I appreciate the interactions between O'Neill and Sam and his doing a good job of keeping her calm. And I was surprised she was so like ready to give up on everything so quickly. And like, there's no other scenario and like sort of doom and gloom. But it worked well with the balance of him being all calm, like I'm the boss and I say we're going to be fine. And it was good. Um, Also, I don't know how you feel about this sort of thing, but I sometimes I ship things and I do I do some salmon jack shipping. And I feel like this episode was kind of good because they do a little snuggling. And so I was like, oh, they're snuggling together. Maybe they have a future. Oh, Great. Uh, yeah. So it's not a like or dislike thing, but another thing I really, I guess I really liked it is that there's a little bit of a, I, I feel like it's almost a call, not a callback to Cold Lazarus, but we get a continuation, I guess, of Jack's inner feelings, emotions right. about yeah. his wife yeah. or his so ex wife. Right. He still clearly has feelings for her. Otherwise, yeah. he wouldn't be like hallucinating her there at the end. And also from his comment earlier that, like, the reason that he came back from when he was stuck behind enemy lines is because he wanted to see her again. Yeah, so it was, yeah. it's just nice to have that, I think, character continuity, mm-hmm. I guess, is where I'm yeah. going with that. Yeah, so. I liked it a lot, too, because he's usually such a cynic and, like, you know, he has a good sense of humor and is, but he's not normally, like, the most positive person. He's usually really <laughs> cynical. And then Sam, on the other hand, is usually the more positive optimistic person so it was really interesting to me to see this kind of role reversal here and i thought it gave them both a little bit more depth to their characters seeing them in in a different light than we normally see them and it was also really nice to see how much they really cared for each other because sam just wanted so badly to be able to save jack's life and jack just wanted so badly for her to survive no matter what happened to him they need to get together and have some babies. Yeah, that's totally the conclusion that can be drawn from that. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when we were just talking about the feelings he still has for his wife. Yeah, I mean, I guess that doesn't preclude them getting together and having babies. But... They don't need to do that right now. <laughs> I'm just saying. Next immediate step. No. <laughs> so they don't need to leave the cave and just start having sex. Like that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I also really appreciated the foreshadowing, which I didn't even notice the first time through, because like I said, I didn't really remember this episode all that well, because I couldn't remember when the second gate came in or how. But 
as we were going back through it, I was like, oh, yeah, that was totally some foreshadowing when Jack asks, well, what's option number four? And Sam's like, well, there isn't one. He's like, but four comes after three. So so there was another another option that Sam hadn't come up with that she just hadn't come up with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Um, Yeah. So before we talk about what's next, should we talk about the funny outtake that we found from this? We should talk about that. That was awesome. Yeah. There's a. You can find it on the YouTubes. I believe it was a DVD, whatever. Some DVD set had this as one of their bonus or deleted scenes or something. But there is a video of. Carter in the cave with O'Neill as they're chipping away at ice where she's ragging on him because he is MacGyver and why can't he get them out of there and it's, she just yeah. goes on she commits she to it it's amazing we shouldn't give too many spoilers no. in case people want to watch it because it's really funny so yeah. we highly recommend and we'll probably put a link up on like social media or something yeah. so people can find it when we post this episode definitely yeah it was great Highly recommend. A plus plus would watch again. Would laugh again. Yep. I'm <laughs> laughing now about it. <laughs> Indeed. I laughed before. I am laughing now. I would laugh again. <laughs> so what is next? Next. Let me see. I am going to pull up old reliable Netflix because that one seems to have the least spoilery and least weird descriptions which i sometimes feel like the dvd booklet i have is kind of like let's end everything in a question (laughs) (laughs) and the question's always yes they will (laughs) (laughs) or no can they can they get out of this scrape let's find out oh my god okay So the next episode, 18, 19. 19? I'm confused. 19, right? Yeah. For, by our is, counting, that's, that's 19. Yeah. Netflix is throwing me off. Never mind. I take no, it all back, it. Netflix. Go bite me. <laughs> uh, so the next episode, 19. Of season one. Of season one of Stargate SG-1 is called Tin Man. Tin Man. I know. <laughs> <laughs> there's an episode of star trek also called tin man and captain picard pronounces tin man in a very specific way which is what mary is uh, alluding to yes good times We'll have to see if anyone in this episode says it in that manner as well. I just rewatched that episode because we're rewatching all of Star Trek. <laughs> nice. Yet again for like the millionth time. Well, in this Tin Man, Tin Man version, Netflix says a strange man implants the consciousness of the SG-1 team in robots. Oh. That's kind of, yeah. Do you remember yeah. this one? I do actually remember this one. Um, I think so. Mm. Yeah. So that's what we're watching. All right. Well, that's it for us today. 
As always, you can find us on any, pretty much any podcatcher of choice. If you haven't already subscribed to us, please hit subscribe so that you can get our episodes automatically as soon as they're released every other Monday. We're on YouTube as well. Reviews and likes on those platforms are greatly appreciated, as is word of mouth, because that's a great way to help our podcast get out there to other people. So if you like what we're doing here, please tell your friends about the show. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at stargatesing at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Twitter. We are at stargatesing. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group that you can like and or join. And if you're feeling generous, you can find us on Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash stargatesing. And any donations help to cover our production costs as well as uh, possibly doing some new extra cool stuff in the future. And of course, you can also find us on our website, which is stargatesing.space. I am Mary. I'm Kathy. And you've been listening to Stargatesing, the end the end I didn't understand the term <laughs> <laughs> it's not a term everyone knows idiot. <laughs> you're not like, you're shipping stuff to places what are you shipping into who I'm, I'm gonna mail Sam to Jack <laughs> you're gonna mail your put something in a box and put that box inside of another box <laughs> mail that box to yourself what happens if you put your own address on an envelope and try to send it to yourself do you get a busy signal or a, a, a postal carrier is like nope I'm busy won't deliver this because 